happy anniversary to the two of you too. The way celebrating the anniversary this week, and that's great. Thank you, Brother JJ, Sister Ellen, for leading us in our singing this morning. We're so grateful for the talents that God has given to those who helped us in that area. This morning, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, where we have been focusing on a series of messages I've entitled simply, Follow Me. And we are, as disciples, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and uh, seek to represent him well in the world in which we live every day. And so we're going to be looking at chapter 11 of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 11. We'll pick up where we left off. You know, there's something to be said about persistence as we face the obstacles and the challenges in our pursuit of the goals and, and objectives of our lives. I think we'd all agree that it sure beats the alternative, and that is simply just throwing up our hands, giving up, walking away without much effort and determination. Many of you, like myself, probably have been following the Olympics to different degrees, and um, I think probably the most dramatic, I guess, story developing in the uh, Tokyo Games there in Japan centered around a young American gymnastics star by the name of Simone Biles. She is a very talented young lady, and she is yet living proof of that personal persistence and courage that has enabled her to overcome horrific uh, personal trauma from the past. And also, here more recently, to be able to overcome mental health struggles that, that recently had her stepping out of the Olympic Games temporarily and then doing the unthinkable with the eyes of the world all riveted towards her is this young lady as she stepped back into the Games at, towards the end and on the, whatever that bar is that, they, that I would break my neck on, she gracefully and elegantly demonstrated her skills and uh, courage and persistence in achieving a bronze medal. And I, I just think that is so inspiring. We love to see those examples. We love to see those personal stories lived out before us. And so as we look in Luke's gospel, chapter 11, the Lord Jesus is teaching his disciples then, and he's teaching you and me today that effective kingdom praying calls for a measure of persistence. We have to be able to not only pour our hearts into our praying, but we must be willing to persist in our praying to receive the, the results and the fruit that the Lord talks about in, in prayer. Now, in the message last week, you may recall, we, we looked at what we call the, the, the Lord's model prayer to disciples. Uh, and Luke's maybe condensed version of that in verses one through four. And, and in that model prayer, Jesus gave his disciples and gave you and me what we call a pattern for praying that helps to guide us in our kingdom praying. If we follow that pattern, not that we pray that same prayer rotely, remotely, whatever, uh, but but to let it guide us in meaningful, fruitful, fruitful praying. And so now today with the leading of the Holy Spirit and the the aid of the infallible word of God, I want us to Look here in Luke's gospel, chapter 11, and examine what our Savior teaches us about effective praying. I know if you're like I am, I want to get the most out of my praying. 
I, I want my prayers to count, to mean something. I, I don't want to just go through the motion of praying. I have a, my study is the only upstairs room in our house. And, and I just dedicate that as my prayer closet. And so when I'm mounting those stairs going up early in the morning, uh, I, I, it's just a sense of coming to the presence of the Lord. I find my soul, my spirit actually yearning. It's like, all right, it's just me and, and the Lord because Jan is still sleeping by this time and uh, coffee is still perking, so she's not conscious. So it's just me and the Lord. And, and that time just really means so much. Well, Jesus is helping his disciples to see the importance of not just praying, but to, to pray with bold persistence. And that's what we're going to look at first as we begin to unfold this wonderful teaching by the Lord. And he uses parables. And, you know, Jesus oftentimes in teaching, whether it be to multitudes or to his disciples, would use parables. Uh, someone once said that a parable is an earthly story with heavenly meaning. And, and oftentimes Jesus' parables were down to earth and you could, you know, you could kind of relate to them and grasp them. And so Jesus is going to use a parable to kind of launch his teaching here to help us to see the, the, the role that persistence has in effective kingdom prayer. And so we're going to be looking at actually two dramatic stories. And we're going to focus first here in chapter 11, verse 5. And I call this this parable, if you will, a needy friend slash neighbor who's determined to get satisfaction. Almost kind of like a, a humorous story. It depends on which character you are, I guess. So as we look here, Jesus is, is teaching this in verse five. We begin with verse five. And he said to them, primarily his disciples, which of you have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. Now, he's bringing his disciples into the story because he's almost like saying, you know, which of you, if you found yourself in this predicament, which one of you would be going to your friend at midnight and knocking on the door and saying, hey, friend, or it could be neighbor. It could be just neighbor. I hope your neighbors are your friends. But, you know, it could be that. It doesn't have to be a, a close lifetime friend. It says, you know, friend, loan me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Almost like he's asking the question. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, my translation says, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So as we, as we unfold this story, just to appreciate the, 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 the dilemma and the outcome, the neighbor is driven by a difficult situation. He's driven by a very difficult dilemma, but also with a social responsibility, social duty, hospitality. You see, in that part of the world, and even to this day in the Middle East, and we discovered on our missions trips to Africa that hospitality is an important factor 
in the way that people relate to one another. It would be unthinkable for you to show up at a Kenyan's, when we were in Africa, home as a stranger, and they not welcome you in. And not only that, not just welcome you in, but, but try to serve you some refreshments, because we had to be very careful, because in that country, you know, malaria was rampant and other diseases, and so we had to be very careful. So, and the people were so kind, they picked up on it, because I remembered one home, lady served us boiled eggs. You're safe eating a boiled egg because it's boiled in, boiled in hot water and then it's concealed. So we sat in her little thatch, roof, mud, wall, dirt floor, hut, and filled and ate boiled eggs. And, and, and that was part. She went out of her way. She couldn't afford to you know, be giving up all these eggs, but, but hospitality was important. And so the, the friend that is in need, he is coming and says, hey, Look, I've got a friend that just showed up at my door traveling at night, as most people would in the hot sun, the Palestinian sun, would travel, travel at night. So when unusual, somebody show up at your house after dark and this friend shows up unannounced and he's got to do the hospitable thing. He is, there's no way that he could invite this friend from their journey, tired and, and hungry, into his home and not have something to serve him. And he didn't have anything. So he runs over to his neighbor's house and you see the story unfolding and, and he's beating on his door and says, hey, look, I, I need five loaves of bread, you know, or three loaves. I've expanded it. <laughs> his friend is initially unmoved, literally. Now, you're, you're probably thinking at least he could get up, and go to the door, you know, but from where he's laying in his bed, he's saying, I'm not getting up. And there's a reason, because if you read on, he says, because I'm in bed and with my children. You said, what's up with that? Well, you know, in that culture, people, they had one room houses and they had one big bed. It could be a pallet or whatever, but, but you, you know, you would lay in the bed and your spouse would be in the bed and then your children. I tried to vision that in the house I grew up in with 11 children. Uh, that would never happen. But anyway, we thought it was something to have to sleep three to a bed. But anyway, so so this neighbor that is, he responded and he says, I, I'm not getting up at this time of night. What's the matter with you? If I if I get up, I'll, I'll shake Junior. And Junior will, will shake, you know, Josiah. Josiah will shake the baby. The baby will start crying. And then everybody will be up and down. And then it's on. I'm not going to get up. And do that. But you'll see the needy neighbor's persistence, not just the friendship, finally moves the heart of this neighbor that, is, that he goes to. And, you know, it's interesting, that word persistence in the scriptures in the Greek is anadia. And it's, it means shamelessness and insolence and audacity and boldness and impudence. He's not just politely <laughs> peck, peck, peck. You know, he's, he's boom, 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 boom. You know, I got to have the bread. I got to have the bread, you know. And so now, now please don't take this parable and this, what Jesus is teaching here and use that as a license to bug your neighbors to death. I, I just wouldn't suggest it. In fact, I wouldn't encourage you to try this in your neighborhood uh, here in, in good old U.S. of A., you know, even in the South. You go beating on somebody's house door at midnight, they're liable to shoot you. I mean, especially in Davidson County. 
I, you know, I definitely didn't do that. So it's not a license to bug your neighbor, but Jesus is teaching a lesson. Here's a great need. And there's persistence in his pursuing this need. He's not going to take an easy no. And had he simply politely given up initially and just said, okay, whatever, and walked away, we'll consider the consequences. Here his weary traveling guest would have had to go to bed hungry. Not only that, this neighbor would have had to go to bed also suffering with shame and humiliation, thinking, oh my goodness, what will the rest of the community think that I had a neighbor show up late at night and could not feed him? Oh, what a terrible thing. So it was his persistent request. And as a, resent, as a result of his persistent request, not only was his pantry filled, restocked, his guest was able to go to bed with a full belly. And not only that, his neighbors that he went to could finally get back to sleep after they got the baby to quiet and the dog to stop barking. But Jesus continues on teaching about the importance of persistence. Now remind yourself, this is in the context of prayer and we'll bring it around. So just hang in there. But Jesus was talking to people who so easily go to the Lord in prayer and they'll make a request. And then if nothing happens, they'll just, oh, well, God didn't want it to happen. That's it. And, you know, and, and God's up there saying, uh, hello, <laughs> is that it? Let's, let's turn in your Bibles, hold your place in Luke's gospel chapter 11, because I like to weave a thread through other teachings that the Lord gives on a very similar subject. So we're talking about persistence in the context of prayer. And I'm challenging you to think, even as we walk through these texts, are you a persistent prayer, prayer? Do you pray and continue to pray and continue to call upon the Lord? Or do you just simply give up, lose interest? In chapter 18 of Luke, another very intriguing story, apparently, that illustrates the importance of not being a quitter when it comes to prayer, but being persistent. And some of you are probably thinking about scenarios in your own life where maybe in the past you just, you said, oh, that was me. I, I shouldn't have stopped praying. Or maybe some of you are thinking with relief in your heart, man, I'm so glad I persisted because you saw the fruit, the results of it. Okay. All right. So in chapter 18, verse one, Jesus is teaching yet another parable. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying there was a certain city and a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. 
Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will really find faith on the earth. Or he's asking the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This poor widow's plight, you have to understand and appreciate in a cultural sense. In first century Palestine, in the Jewish culture, the Roman culture, a widow was in a bad fix. A woman who was a widow, number one, had virtually no rights. She had no social status, no power or even a legal advocate. And probably, as we see here, in this woman's case, was the victim of numerous episodes of exploitation. And now facing a ruthless judge who by reputation, how would you like to have this as a reputation? He was known as a man, a judge who did not fear God nor respect man. Whew. Sounds like some of the politicians we know. But anyway, finally, finally, she prevails, not because the judge suddenly has a softening of his heart to sympathy and feels sorry for the woman, but because he reasoned to himself, and I paraphrased, I've got to give her what she requests before she drives me crazy. You know, um, we love our children and grandchildren. But you know, sometimes their persistence can wear on us, can Mama can have this, can I have this? Papa can I have this? How much further than two-tenths of a mile down the road? How much further now? So they got that thing of persistence down to an art. It's us, the adults, that need to learn a little bit more about persistence because we understand that this widow's persistence is what changed the heart of this ruthless, hard-hearted judge. And finally, she prevails, not because the judge's stone-cold heart was turned to sympathy, but because he realized, I've got to do something or she's going to drive me crazy. Now, the main points of these parables is to teach God's people, his disciples, about the absolute importance of persistence in prayer. Our Heavenly Father responds to our persistent prayers. Now let's go back to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, where we started out. And I want you to see some other things that the Lord is teaching us here. The Lord is driving this thing home because he wants... He knows, you know, it's not going to be that much long, longer. He'll be with his disciples. He understands that prayer is absolutely essential in the life of a believer. And he doesn't want them praying the meaningless, repetitious, hollow prayers of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and certainly not the mindless repetitions of the pagans. He wants them to pray real prayers. That, that result in God's work in. And so now as we look at chapter 11, go back to verse 9, Jesus continues and he says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds 
and to him who knocks, it will be open. So let's just look at that. When Jesus starts out that part in verse 9, see, we would just read right over a very important insertion. Luke captures it. When the Lord says, he says in verse 9, and I say to you. Now I want you to remember who's talking here. This, these words are coming from the lips of the sovereign God of the universe, the Son of God, who has manifested before his disciples his privilege and opportunity to talk to God the Father on a regular basis. And he emphasizes the fact that this promise comes from comes with divine authority. Listen, if Jesus says, I say to you, he doesn't say, well, you know, I've heard it said. <laughs> or the prophet said, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to his disciples, I, the son of the living God, and he is, Colossians 2.9 tells us, he is fully God and fully man. And he, if anybody can speak with divine authority, who but the Son of God? And so what he's telling his disciples, he says, this is true. Because Jesus Christ is an expert in prayer. He daily communed with the Father in prayer during his earthly ministry. Now he states the promise using three present imperatives. In other words, when you're reading that, when he says, and he says, ask, it actually is not just a suggestion. It's, it's an imperative. He says, you do this. And he's saying it in the present sense of the tense of that verb. So he's saying, ask and keep on asking. Ask and keep on asking. It's not just ask, okay, that's it. But continue to ask. And it's a mandate. So he's, he's saying, ask and keep on asking. It will be given to you. You'll notice that not only does he give this, these, these three commands in the form of an imperative, but they increase in progressive intensity. First, you start out by asking. And then you move to seeking. You're starting to look now. You've asked, now you start to seek and to inquire. And then, if not that, then the next step is to knock. Ask, seek, and knock. So you see the, the progression of intensity there, and they all repeat the promise that comes with it. So let me go back, and this is what it would say. Ask and keep on asking. It will be given. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and it will be open. You know, contrary to the heretical teachings and preachings of the name it and claim it prosperity gospel today, and you could throw in that the word of faith preachers too, Jesus is not issuing a blank check that God the Father is bound to and obligated to honor. That's not what he's saying here. Of course, that crowd, they'll tell you, oh yeah, you name it, if it's a, if God made a promise there, you just lay your finger on it. Of course, they take it out of context often. And, and you can you can say, oh Lord, I, I want a I want a mansion. Boom. And God has to give it to you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God doesn't have to do anything. 
That's not what Jesus is saying there. He's saying as we come before the Lord God Almighty and we pour our hearts out and we persist in pouring our hearts out dependent upon what the need is, we should always pray with the awareness that we're asking God to do according to his will. Let me enlighten you a little bit on that by going to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. John says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. Do you have confidence when you pray? Do you, do you come before God with the assurance of God can do this? Now, it's not to say that he will, but you come with the confidence that I know that God is hearing me. How do we know that? Listen to what John said. He says, now this is the confidence. I like that. Confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Did you see what John said there? He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that what we have uh, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So John is saying, you can pray confidently. You can pray with assurance as long as you're praying as Jesus taught his disciples and by his own example, not my will, but your will be done. Always, always deferring to God. Now, James diagnosed the early church had a problem and, and let me just share what he said there in this familiar passage in James chapter 4, verses 2. He's, he's, he's really lambasting those early Christians. He said, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. First of all, you wonder why your prayer life is empty. You wonder why your prayer life is fruitless. You wonder why it appears that there's a deaf ear in heaven. James said, look at your life. Look at your lifestyle. Look at the way you represent God. You're living in, 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 in murder. Maybe not actually, but in your mind, Jesus says, if you think with anger towards someone, you're committing murder or, or, or lust. And, and, and he goes on to name all these things. You, you're fighting amongst yourselves. But he goes on to say, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You don't even go before God to ask the things that God would want you to have. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on yourselves, your pleasure. James says, listen, your lifestyle is short-circuiting your prayer life, but also the fact is you're asking with the wrong motives. If you're, you're praying to God from your own selfish you know, materialistic mindset, then don't expect God like a genie in a lamp to just poof, there it is, there it is. That's not the way it works. How often do we miss out on God's blessings because we fail to pray persistently by faith, earnestly seeking God's will in a matter, not our own selfish desires? That's crucial in the life of a disciple's prayer life. But let's move on as we seek to close out because I, I want you to look there in verse 11. Jesus proceeds to establish a key principle. He's given us a promise now. He's given us a pattern. He's given us a promise. 
Now, here's a very key principle that is so key, so crucial to our praying. He's using a common technique of reasoning from the lesser to the greater. You see that throughout the scriptures. But as we go back to chapter 11 in Luke's gospel, look at verse 11. He says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you. Now stop there a second. You see how Jesus cleverly pulls his disciples into the scenario. He's basically saying, if one of your boys, one of your daughters comes to you. Now their mind is pulling up pictures. They can see their handsome son or they can see their darling daughter. Okay, so there you go. They're into this. He says, if 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 uh, if a son asks for bread from among uh, from any any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? What is Jesus doing as, you know, as he's teaching about the nature of God and this principle that our God takes great delight in meeting the needs of his people? So we see the progression now. We see the progression from lesser to, to greater. First of all, he says a father is more likely to attend to the needs of his children than a simple friend would attend to the needs of a friend. So we go from a friend making a request to a father. And naturally, that's the case. Those of you who are fathers and mothers, you know. You'll do a lot of things for your friends, but you'll do a lot more for those precious little darling children and grandchildren. So so he's, he's moving it, stretching it a little bit further there. And so the Lord uses a series of exaggerated hypothetical questions to illustrate this point. You know, in other words, if the child asks for bread, you just going to give them a stone? If, if they ask you, you know, for fish, are you going to put a snake in their hands? Or they want an egg. I just talked about boiled eggs and getting a little hungry. You're going to put a scorpion in their hand? Of course, you know the implied answer to that. Even fathers who have a sinful nature know to give good things to their children most of the time. There are some sad exceptions to that. As we know that there are fathers and mothers out there that knowingly and intentionally abuse their their children. And so he's saying here, you know, look at verse 13. If you then, being evil, not to say that he's implying to his disciples that they are out there doing evil things. He just reminded them that they all have a sinful nature. There's potential for evil in all of them. And so he's, he's turning this thing around. He's saying, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, then he says, how much more Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that's what Jesus is driving towards. We can rely on our heavenly Father to know and to supply our needs. 
That's, this is where he's going, folks. He's bringing those disciples to see through the teachings of the, the pattern of prayer, the principle of prayer, of being persistent and, and, and continuing to pray and not give up. And now he's bringing them to this very crucial principle here. And that is our heavenly father. He already knows what we need and he will supply our needs better than a friend will supply our needs, better than a father will supply our heavenly father will supply our needs because our God is infinitely wise. He's all-knowing. He is a loving God. He enjoys hearing from the prayers of his children. When we call upon God, it gives him great pleasure to hear us depending upon him and trusting in him. I think about Psalm 84, 11, where the psalmist says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God will provide for us. He's not a stingy God, okay? Listen, our, our Father, He's sovereign, almighty God. He's not stingy. If He withholds something from me when I have persistently and earnestly prayed and consciously added to my prayer, your will be done, then the reasonable conclusion that Charlie Martin can come to is, you know what? I have persistently brought this to the Lord. I, I have, you know, not given up in praying for this. And, and I've even said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And it hasn't happened. Then you can take it that all knowing, all powerful, loving Father in heaven knows it's best that you not receive that which you were asking. Oh boy, sometimes that's hard for us to, you know, I knew as a child, I didn't like to hear the answer, no. I had my heart bent on getting a Batman outfit or no, it was Zorro back in those days, you know, and couldn't afford it, no, nobody. But listen, when our Heavenly Father through his actions or his speaking into our hearts through the word of God says no, then we can thank him. There have been times in my life where I thought this is what you know God would want to happen, and I was asking for it, and I was asking for it, and you know, and yet praying, your will be done. And you know what? God didn't do it. Now I know why. I remember a long time ago when we were over on the uh, old High Point Road considering relocating, and there was a field at the intersection of Wahlberg Road. And new friendship. You, you could drive by today. I don't, it was a big field. And we're talking about building a church. And I, I just knew. And some of you may remember Jesse Wilson. He was a former Teamster truck driver with McLean's. One of our deacons, our first deacons. Humble mountain guy from Lenore. Just a sweetheart. And a sweet-spirited guy. And he and I, he, I'd take him out on visitation with me. But we, I, I said, Jesse, I just... Pulled out the brakes on that old station wagon uh, by the, that intersection. I said, I believe God wants us to have this piece of land here and, and, and to build our new church. <laughs> so, you know, being, I was young and impulsive, you know. I just walked right out there on somebody else's field, you know, picked up a handful of dirt. I'm glad they didn't shoot me. And I just claimed it. I said, Lord, this is, this is 
the future home of Cornerstone Baptist Church. Hallelujah. I can just see it all sprawled out there. Jesse, with this kind and humble spirit, says, if that's what you want, preacher, you know, if that's what God wants, you know. Well, went out at the corner of Wahlberg Road and Friendship Leopard Road. There was a reason because God had a property right here that he wanted us to relocate to. But I'm just using that as an illustration because God doesn't always do it our way. That's why he's not a name it and claim it deity. He's God, but he loves it and yearns to hear from us the things that are on our hearts. And he loves for us to trust him to answer our prayers according to his will. And you know what? Not only is God not stingy, he doesn't lack in ability. I love Ephesians 3.20 where Paul says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Wow, that's a mouthful. The power that works in us. Did you see what Jesus was praying there in verse 13? He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You say, wait, I just want a new car. <laughs> I wasn't asking for the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, understand what Jesus is saying. The, the power of this, it would be like me taking you know, uh, Asher of Salem into Dairy Queen, and they're asking, you know, Poppy, would you buy me one of those triple-decker ice cream cones? And I said, no, nah, me and your Pop-Pop, we're going to buy you the whole Dairy Queen. You get, <laughs> you get all the ice cream you want. <laughs> Pop-Pop's not in agreement with that. He said, wait, you're on your own now. <laughs> But, you know, why? Why would we settle for an ice cream cone? God is sending the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to live within us. And in that we have access to all the blessings of heaven in, in the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God knows all the things about the Father and the Son, and He can guide us in our living and in our uh, praying, and, and, and therefore we bear much fruit. And he sends the Holy Spirit. Let me just ask you as I close. Is your prayer life flat? Kind of dull? Empty? Does it seem like it's not fruitful? Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Don't blame the Lord. It's not his fault. We need to point the finger at ourselves. We need to go back and confess any sin in our lives, as James pointed out, especially the, the sin of prayerlessness. That trips up more Christians today and more churches today than you can imagine. People calling themselves followers of Jesus Christ and spend every bit of two or three minutes a day communicating with the God of the universe. Oh, listen, we need to not only confess any sin and prayerlessness 
but we also need to go back to the biblical pattern that Jesus has given us and pray it with meaning. We need to go back and claim the biblical promises that Christ has given us to lay hold of and also build our prayer life on the principles of kingdom praying that we see right here. That we have a heavenly father who loves us dearly, who knows us better than we know ourselves and who is ready and willing to answer our prayers for what he sees is best in our lives. That, my dear friend, I believe will make our prayer life come alive. I believe it'll make our spiritual life come alive. I'm thankful. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful when it comes to the subject of prayer. Jesus was ready and willing to unfold it for us. And we've heard it directly from the mouth of the Son of God as recorded by the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now we just need to put it into practice. I trust that Cornerstone members and Cornerstone as a church, including our guest, will be known as a church of prayer a powerhouse of prayer for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God, and the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son, your precious, sinless, divine and fully man son, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, coming into this world at walking amongst sinful mankind and teaching these out of this world principles on how we live as citizens of the kingdom of God. My prayer today, Lord, is that you will rivet our hearts and minds to focus upon this key discipline in the life of a Christian, and that is prayer. And I pray that, Lord, you will cause us to be honest before you. And where there's prayerlessness, I pray that you will replace it as we confess it to you and repent of it with a life of dynamic and fruitful prayer for your glory. Lord, work out your will as, as your Holy Spirit has spoken through your holy word. I pray that your divine holy will will be represented in every life here today all for your glory we thank you and give you praise in jesus name amen